Oh no, I had to fall part of me to lose it all in the end. It, it doesn't, doesn't even, even matter. matter. You want to talk about 2005 Youth Group Kid? I don't know if it's a church thing, but apparently every church buys a Dell laptop. So my laptop and Zach's laptop, because of course now, you know, because of COVID, I bring my laptop home with me every night, uh, even if I think I'm going back tomorrow because I just don't know what's going to happen. So anyway, we have our laptops at home and they look exactly alike. And I grabbed Zach's laptop and I happened to open it up and I immediately knew it was mine, not mine rather, because he had a photo, a different photo uh, on his background. And that photo was um, a bunch of us in uh, Malaga, Spain for World Youth Day uh, 2011. I think specifically Days in the Diocese World Youth Day where you, um, it's a week before World Youth Day and World Youth Day is not really a day because why not? But Days in the Diocese is the week before World Youth Day where you actually go and live in, in the diocese and you learn what it's like to be a person I'm a Catholic in that diocese, and it's pretty cool. So we were super lucky uh, to make awesome relationships with with the people in Malaga, Spain, and uh, we found this tree in near this monument. Honestly, I don't even remember what it was. It was a house. It's I have like no idea. Mansion. I was sick for the entire week of Days in the Diocese. So oh, most of oh my no. Experience, I want to talk about that in a minute. Most of my experiences were uh, in bodegas and throwing up in garbage cans. So I have I have good fond memories of garbage cans in southern Spain. Oh, no, no. We'll talk about that more in a second. But that's what we should have started with. But anyway, so I, I do remember this picture being taken. There was this huge tree and half of us were, were in the tree. And I do remember when the photo was shot that... It was kind of like one of those moments, like, you're going to remember this. You're going to look at this picture uh, years from now. And it's 2020, right? This was taken in 2011. And uh, I proved myself right. But my point is, is that it was, it struck me because, you know, I haven't been thinking about Malaga, Spain uh, very much in recent months. Um, it struck me how, how awesome, how powerful um, that photo was and how powerful that moment was and how powerful that experience was. Um, not just going to another country, seeing another culture. That was really cool. Getting out of your comfort zone, but also experiencing God through, through people, experiencing God through community and a community I never thought I'd have. It was definitely a mountaintop experience. And I think that's, that's what we want to talk about today. Before we talk about how Zach puked all over Spain. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my memory of World Youth Day, Spain. And, and for me, it really, it really centered around community, that mountaintop experience and Zach puking everywhere. So we're in the middle, we're, we're still, you know, in the time of COVID. And I think it, there's a lot of things that are different. And I think there's a lot of things um, that we, we've relied on maybe, um, as, as kind of our, um, spiritual schedule maybe 
to to kind of come to pass. You know, some of those are exalts. Um, I know one of those that's not going to be happening, like it usually does, is the fest. You know, I could go on. There are more. There are more experiences. I guess I, I want to meet the person for whom the fest is a spiritual high anymore. Not to knock the fest. No, I love. I the can fest. say this, moms. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, so the fest when it started off back in the day was super cool because they brought in legit big name bands, and this year would have been a big name band. We had for King and Country this year, uh, which my youths were looking forward to. I know. But a, a couple years ago, the fest really changed directions from from advertising to young people and young families to advertising to moms primarily. Uh, they do the whole Mark's mom bag and. Uh, I want mine. I didn't get mine. I didn't get that. They were sold out. Or got, they were done by the time I got there. Um, it was but I so mean, sad. I, I still love the vest. I've, I've only, the only year I missed was the year that Sarah had her intestines out. Uh, every other year. Sorry. <laughs> every other year. Me. I think 15 years or whatever the fest has been going on, I have been there. But one year I missed. Um, well, now you'll be there remotely. Yeah, maybe I'll miss this year. No. Uh, okay, here's our, here's our one relevant... Uh, COVID update tie-in is I am so sick of online everything. We yeah. we abandoned Zoom meetings, I think, a month ago now. Um, yeah, about a month ago. We probably went a week without a meeting, and then we just started meeting, you know, as safely as we could outside. But I, I just... There's something totally, to me, different about meeting online versus meeting in person. The way The way that you interact and pick up people's reactions and have conversations, it's totally different. It's more organized, and it kind of takes take something away from meetings that that should be there no that's true it's it's very hard to for me it's really hard to pick up a lot of nonverbals. um you kind of lose a lot of that because either somebody you know someone's turning off their screen or they're um i don't know what it is for insight night but we everyone decides to clean their room <laughs> during insight night <laughs> so it's a good use of time right or you know i don't know their dog is is in the frame yeah no i agree it it really is hard to have i think uh, a meaningful conversation and i think it's also really hard to convey um when you're when you're talking about something complex it's really hard to convey it oh yeah i mean i speak with my hands a lot which it's funny because this is a podcast format, so you don't see. And Sarah speaks with her hands more than I do, I think, really? to try to convey a point. Um, so that's it's, it's interesting that we're talking about that on a digital platform. But the I, other it's thing, ironic. it's so ironic. It's like rain. <laughs> that's a tie into World Youth Day, which we'll come back to. Oh um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's so ironic. It's so ironic. Um, but the other thing is, you know, some some major part of youth ministry is is relational ministry, and relational ministry for teenagers is kind of like hanging out with teenagers. Um, it's more complicated than that if you get into like all of the theory, but like at its base, it's just being with people and being together on Zoom, being present, being present to people, uh, and being together on Zoom. Like it has the the basic necessity of like, well, we're seeing each other and we're having a conversation. Uh, but it has to be so much more goal directed. Otherwise, Zoom meetings don't work. Um, so even if it's we try to just you know hang out and have a social meeting, we had to you know play games and play the Jackbox games and play Scribble, Scriblio. Scriblio. No, no, no. <laughs> it's definitive. It's Scriblio. My kids say it's Scriblio. All right. Well, it's Scribble.io, so I can call it either way. Whatever. Um, it's Scriblio. Right, but okay. My no, point. no, no. I'm saying this to whoever's going to listen to this. Hey, Grace. <laughs> I'm saying this to whoever's going to listen. It's Scriblio. And they're agreeing with me right now. They're nodding their head. They're not doing anything. We're talking to a computer. <laughs> you ruined the magic. <laughs> you Philistine. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, no, I, I agree, though. You, you know, I think we should be grateful. We should be grateful that we lived in a time 
where we could almost seamlessly, I mean, okay, it wasn't seamless, but much, much easier than, you know, five, 10 years ago, we could just jump onto uh, a digital platform and kind of at least amble along and continue with our lives. Um, you know, if this was 2004, I mean, what are we going to do? Insight Night over I Am? Yeah. <laughs> do you remember oh. I Am? But before, before I go down a dark, dark path that I've reflected on long, uh, I do almost wonder if uh, our digital means became a little bit of a crutch, too. Okay. Like, I think there's some definite positive to churches being able to live stream so that people can stay connected uh, or doing Bible studies and, and Insight Night over Zoom uh, or recording a podcast so that, you know, we can evangelize or apologeticize or... Podcasts were around in 2004. Okay, not really. All right, that's true. They kind of were. Uh, but, you know, I think there's some some nice thing that because of, of the digital age, we're allowed to stay in touch with each other. But I also think it, it quickly became a crutch for, like, um, we don't have to become creative in how we act as the church. We just do everything we normally do, but do it digitally. Um, and as we saw in youth ministry, there were some clear shortcomings with that way. Mm. I think we saw in the wider church, there were some clear shortcomings with that. Uh, and I think maybe if, if this had happened in, you know, 1997, maybe we would have been a little more creative with, you know, going to each other's homes or, or delivering whatever food and gifts. And I mean, I think That's some things, point. some things did, point. some good things came out, like, you know, the, the car parades and things. Oh my um, gosh. The car parades are the bomb. <laughs> Um, but I think we, yeah, I wonder if our digital has not become a little bit of a crutch to you. You know, it, it's interesting you said that because in, in thinking about it, I mean, of course, being able to continue insight nights, we never took an insight night off. Um, that, that was awesome being able to continue that add drop in. Um, but on top of that, I think the most, some of the most meaningful ways of, or at least I experienced of being church was, um, at least at, at Holy Spirit, we called everybody because, you know, we're, we are small enough that we're able to do that. We called everyone on our roster. Um, and so I was able to talk with a lot of people that, that I don't normally engage with. Um, that was pretty awesome, actually. And you're right. She called a lot of the old people. I called everybody. Actually, the only group I ended up not being able to call was the 30 to my age, <laughs> my age people. But yeah, I, 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 that we did do. <laughs> Don't worry, they're millennials. They would have not answered anyway. They would have not answered and, and listened to the voicemail and, and been too anxious to call back. Um, that's you. Don't laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because it's me. Um, yeah, but you're right. That that was probably the most meaningful experience. And, and we would have had that in, you know, in what, 2004 is our standard? 1986? I, mean, I used 97 as my one, whatever. Oh, 1986, big hair, laying on the ground with a magazine okay, in nope, front of stop. you. Too far. Okay. Too far. You're going side down. ponytail. This, this whole thing has been one big sidebar. So I have the idea. We've we've not recorded for a while, which is a mistake on our part. Even even really. Oh, I think so. Huh. I I feel like I just ran out of inspiration because of being home all the time with with the Rona. Oh, I just thought nobody cared. <laughs> well, I didn't care that nobody... I, I figured even if nobody was listening, we, we could build a backlog so that when eventually we had a really good podcast, then people would be like, oh, they have 10 more we can listen to. So, no. That was optimistic. <laughs> this will this will tie in, actually, to, to our wider topic today, but um, I hit such a point of, like, just spiritual dryness or, or desolation uh, towards the end of the pandemic that I just... I, I lacked inspiration and creativity. 
as much as I like hate that this is true, our job is a lot of knowledge work. So ideally we'd spend 40 hours a week just being among the people of God and, and hanging out with the teens in our program and hanging out with the, the people in our parish and the people we want to become a member of the church. Um, but it just doesn't, it doesn't work out that way in almost any week. And so we spend a lot of time in our offices planning and writing insight nights and recording podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. And that requires a certain amount of like regular creativity. Um, and if you're doing things like taking classes and listening to podcasts and listening to the radio and taking part in staff meetings, you have a whole bunch of opportunities to get um, good ideas and creativity. And we just, we didn't have that. <laughs> Elijah's great but he is uh, not much fodder for podcast material. So anyway, so that that reality is why we've had a little bit of a break, but hopefully we'll be back going strong minus a week or two when we move. So we've, we've been off for a couple of weeks, but I had this idea while driving home uh, a couple of days ago that we really were in this, this piece of spiritual dryness, but that one of the reasons I think we feel it so acutely is we're very used to these moments of spiritual high, um, we were talking at some point that Sarah and I have not gone this long without being on or running a retreat, uh, for like 14 years. Yeah, my adult life. Um, I, since I was a sophomore in high school, I have been on at least one retreat a semester as a participant and then as a leader and then as a youth minister, um, taking personal retreats or running mission trips. I mean, like just any, all of these things that we would normally call like these big mountaintop spiritual high experiences. I mean, every four months, practically definitely every six. Um, and now we've gone since I've gone since, uh, November without, uh, a retreat, which is crazy. November, November, November. You had a retreat in November. I went down to Damascus for my confirmation. retreat. Oh, for me, I may. We had our last retreat in May. Our son wasn't even born yet. Yeah. So it, it was this kind of crazy, like, long period of of not having uh, a mountaintop experience. And we should probably define that. We're going to talk yeah, about it a lot. We should yeah, probably define I'm a mountaintop. I was going to say, and, and not that a retreat has to be a mountaintop experience or it's not a good retreat, but I digress. Go ahead. No, no. Define a mountaintop experience if you can. <laughs> they they would have figured they it would out. Not have figured they would have figured No, it. they go back and listen to me and the talk. He's like, wait, what a moose. So a mountaintop experience, um, Zach and I earlier were talking about, um, the, the story of, well, not the story, the event in scripture of the, the transfiguration. Um, and so that's when you have Peter, I think it's just Peter and John, right? And of course, Jesus. Peter, James, and John. I'm sorry, Peter, James, and John. Thank you. Um, they go up, they go up a mountain, um, and then suddenly Jesus is, he's, He's transfigured. transfigured. <laughs> I know. I was trying not to use that word. Um, he, he, let's say this, he reveals his divinity. His divinity is, is clearly visible. Um, and then also present. Zach is, is here kind of thinking. I don't know why. Half not. I, I don't, I don't know why Sarah is not just telling the story and trying and to. And so like... then it, Moses is also present and Elijah the prophet is also present. And my favorite part in the story, sorry, Barb, but it's, it's worth pointing out is that Peter decides his response to seeing God incarnate, not only God incarnate, but God incarnate basically showing off his godness. Um, and then Moses and Elijah the prophet, his response is, well, let's go camping. I'm going to put up tents for you guys. I always think that's funny. But anyway, um, so it's this big moment. Um, I'm, I'm, 
obviously I wasn't there, but I'm sure it was beautiful. I'm sure it was powerful. Um, and I'm sure everybody who was there left it changed in some way, um, coming off the mountain. And so we kind of use that, the term mountaintop experience, uh, to, to describe, you know, retreat experiences where, where you're changed in some way, uh, cause the experience is, is so powerful or, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a retreat experience. It could be a prayer experience. Um, it could be a mission trip, but it's something that's in- intensely powerful. No, Sarah's spot on. And more generally, when we talk about a mountaintop experience, we're talking about, uh, a religious experience that, that, leaves us transformed. And so um, obviously the terminology makes sense when you talk about the transfiguration, which is itself, I mean, Jesus on the mountaintop is a callback to, you know, Moses receiving the law and conversing with God. The Old Testament, uh, the mountaintop was the place where God was um, and where the prophets and where, where the, I want to say the church fathers, but that's not the right word. Uh, you know, uh, Abraham, Moses, you know, Elijah, all of them, where they converse with God is on the mountaintop. So we use mountaintop experience to talk about these sort of profound religious experience that leave us uh, transformed and leave us having an experience, a close experience of God. What would you say is your, your favorite retreat you've been on of all time? Uh, I'm leaving that whole thing in. Um. <laughs> <laughs> the long... Uh, oh my gosh, this is going to be... So this is going to be the rest of the podcast. Zach and I are just going to go, uh, and then 20 minutes of Billy Corgan playing whale sounds. Good night. I don't know. <laughs> Honest guitar. Um, well, favorite retreat would not explain, answer the question that we're going to talk about. So if I, if I had to name a mountaintop experience that I've had, so one of them would have been not so much a retreat itself, but the aftermath of a retreat. At the beginning of... Well, no, I take it back. It had to be at the end of my sophomore year. I had been on retreat, and I had this powerful experience of a new community. Uh, and at the time, the retreats we went on routinely had, you know, 80 and 90 people, uh, which I don't think makes a difference. Like, God's not more present because 90 people are there. Uh, but as a high schooler... Contrary to popular Contrary belief. to popular belief. Um, but as a high schooler, I think sometimes it's a little powerful and overwhelming um, when you are unsure of your faith or testing your faith. And you see, you know, 90 people show up uh, for a retreat weekend. Uh, And obviously, in hindsight, not all 90 people are there because they are the most spiritually devoted followers of Christ. But still, they turned out for a high school retreat where you have adoration and mass and talk about your relationship with the Lord. Um, So I think it's a little bit overwhelming and you really feel part of something uh, bigger and more amazing than yourself. But so I had been on... Probably three retreats before that. So it probably was my, my third or fourth retreat, but it was my first one with the Way Group. And it was really, it was powerful. It was kind of an experience of like, I'm part of something way bigger than myself. And it's way more personal to me than I ever realized. But following up that retreat, uh, I had a friend who, and I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, who basically asked me like, uh, do I have a personal relationship with Jesus? Sarah Deffler. And, and for me, that you know, that combination of the retreat and the the question, you know, that personal decision, that personal grappling with who Jesus was to me and did I have a relationship with him or was he just uh, a subject that I studied in my life? Like that really led to this mountaintop faith experience where I, um, I accepted Jesus as, you know, my personal savior and as, as someone who I could be in a loving relationship with and not just um, know things about or, or do things for Whoa. Yeah. Really? Really. Oh. I didn't know. You're talking about witness? 
No, I, I was uh, sick home with the flu for the witness. So I was talking oh, about that's right. you raised that's me up, right. which ironically is a retreat about mountaintop experiences. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh wow. That was uh, 2007, spring 2007. Honestly, all I remember about the retreat is I was so mad that we were using a Josh Groban song as the name of the retreat, and then, oh, we played it after every witness. It was the worst. All I I'm remember so is mad. the violin solo after yeah. every witness. <laughs> oh, this is the worst. The, I song said is, it, the song's not that bad, but it becomes annoying. I said it was a bad idea in 2007, and in 2020, it's an even worse idea. Anyway, you know, it's it's funny. I guess I asked you your best retreat, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because of the person I am, but I can only think about the the most, the one that sticks out to me the most was actually a terrible retreat I had. Two terrible retreats I had as oh, an can adult. I pause Is this a mountaintop experience for you, or are you talking just about retreats? Because I, I, I kind of sidestepped and went with, like, this was my, my earliest and probably highest mountaintop experience. Not necessarily, like, the best or favorite retreat I ever went on. Oh. You know, I guess it can't be a mountaintop experience if it's, if it's, um, if it wasn't, if it didn't go so hot. But it was powerful. It could be if it was spiritually uplifting. Not even spiritually uplifting. If it brought you, I mean, the point of it being a mountaintop is that it's this spiritual high point that sort of informs your life. You're right. Or transforms your life. Mm. So I, I can't think of like the mountaintop retreat for me. Um, cause they're all so different and they change as, as they should. They change as, as you go on, they change as you, um, you grow, they change as you change and you need different things. Um, and God needs to say different things to you. So they, they kind of, they all blend together, um, for me in, in terms of the era or, or where, honestly, or where it was at. Um, but one theme that kind of sticks out to me about retreats that I always loved and that was always really powerful to me um, is I remember I when I was in high school I didn't go out to Avon much I'm not from the area I'm from a little bit further east Um, and so back then driving out to Avon was like asking somebody to drive out to Wisconsin or something like it it took forever Um, so when we went to St. Leonard's, it was kind of like far away and different and interesting. And back then there, there wasn't St. Leonard's really was kind of, um, in the woods. Um, most of the developments that are there now didn't exist. They weren't built until a, a few years later, at least. So all that to say, it was super cool and super powerful that at three in the morning, cause of course I was up at three in the morning, even after Amanda told me go to bed. Sorry, Amanda, I'm paying for it now. It's fine. Um, you were, you, we would look out the window, the, the big windows, and you would see the trees. You would maybe see, um, you know, something reflecting off the pond and you'd see lights in the distance, probably from 90, if I'm honest, but that'll ruin it for, that would ruin it for 2007, Sarah. So don't tell her. But then you would, there was also, there's, there is also train tracks. You'd hear the train in the distance. And I really liked feeling this sense, um, that God is, is, present out there somewhere um and i think that's really important um because we we have something we're gonna we're gonna talk about with that um but but really having this sense that um you are not in in your space um that you are not in in your regular space your regular time even um but that you're kind of on god's 
kind of on God's territory. Now we have to be careful with that. Um, and, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but so, yeah, I think about that with St. Leonard's. I also think about, um, I was in college and, and we were on uh, a bus going down to DC and, um, it was like one in the morning and, um, I think everyone had finally gone to sleep and I was, I don't know, I was by myself looking out the window and it was one of those nights where the moon is super bright. It must've been a full moon and it was January, of course. So the, sh- the sun was like reflecting off the snow and it was just woods for miles and miles and miles. And all you saw was like the silver glow through all these trees. And it was the most beautiful thing. And even though I was on a bus squished and probably nauseous, cause you know, those buses aren't that great. It was still kind of a, a Keep going. it was still very much. I had that sense of, of like, you are not on your own turf anymore. Um, you are, even though we were still in Ohio, you are not, um, you are not in your, um, you're not in Kansas anymore. You're not in your usual space. Um, so I think that's, that's something and, and, you know, and other, other retreats or, or awesome experiences I've had. Um, I've had that sense. So one of the things that's interesting about mountaintop experiences is until this year, um, I had made it a habit to ban the phrase retreat high. Um, and that oh, came, you've unbanned it. I've unbanned it. This is, Whoa. this is part of this podcast. This is, this is my, my admission of, uh, of wrongheadedness or something. I don't know. Oh. So I, I inherited from my youth minister, Amanda, that, that we, we banned the word retreat high. And we did that because we always, we had director witnesses that were given to the parents at the very end of retreat and, and almost every retreat. So twice a year, at least one of the directors, if not both would talk about, retreat high and parents never got it and it sounded super cheesy and tacky and creepy and oftentimes it meant like sh- the same thing as sugar high when they the when they meant or at least the way i interpreted the way most of or them i stayed it, up all night which is the same as a sugar high like i had two red bulls <laughs> i'll tell the story because he's our age uh once a kid brought an entire backpack of energy drinks um, back when the energy drinks were like getting really kind of weird and out there like don't do it what say what they are oh no i meant don't oh don't do energy drinks yeah like monsters comparatively to this was when like red bull was totally the norm but you could start getting things like cracked and balls b-a-w-l-s i'm leaving this in there Uh, and he brought like like one of every energy drink you could think of for it like for a two-day weekend i mean retreats are really only 48 hours when you think about it uh and it was it was excessive um but you'd have directors who would talk about retreat high, and really they meant like we were tired, we were exhausted, we had a lot of fun and ate too much food, um, and we're excited, and so now we're still excited. Um, so we banned it. We we really banned directors using it because they didn't explain it well, and it confused parents, and I think sometimes even made like parents upset that what we were doing they didn't understand it, and it kind of sounds like we're talking about drug use, but yeah. that really doesn't come into it at all. Um, but I've unbanned it for this reason: is I think. Talking about retreat high helps us talk about like what a mountaintop experience really is and should be. Um, really, really, because I, I think I think if we're talking about a retreat high in a positive sense, you're talking about I mean like what what uh, Peter James and John experienced at the Transfiguration. Like you get this this high high energy, but really like highly concentrated dose of the Lord. I mean, and if you think about like 
the way we talk about retreats, one of the, what do we want them to do? We want it to be this space away from the real world where you can focus on the really real. Like you can focus on your relationship with God. You can focus on your relationship with your families, the things you're doing wrong in your life, have an experience of reconciliation, adoration, um, and be transformed. And so if you like, if you do that, you know, correctly, whatever that means in the terms of a retreat, like you should be feeling a certain amount of levity. You should be feeling a certain amount of like, almost giddiness because you you go on a weekend you have your sins forgiven and then you 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 know resolve to change your life you should have a certain retreat high we weren't planning this to be a debate but uh it's gonna be because i disagree with you entirely go ahead (laughs) do it as usual we're, we're keeping this very raw so first the word high a high i mean everyone everyone i don't need to be coy about it everyone relates a high to drugs and we call it a high it it, it means a simulated it's a chemically simulated experience in regards to drugs right so it's false it's 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 a false state because it's it's simulated or it's or it's created by chemicals hold on but that's not but but in the same way you're chem- like you're still getting a dopamine hit from retreat. Like that's not why I'm justifying the use right. of retreat high. That's but fine. you are getting uh, you're getting a, a chemical a chemical hit by going on retreat. Great, that's my second point. Um, you can that's fine. You sometimes though I think we it is very easy. Uh, actually, I'm not going to say sometimes. I'm going to say quite often. It's very easy to mistake intense emotion and an intense emotional um, experience or an intensely novel experience or just an intensely intense or an intensely powerful experience, we can mistake that um, for being spiritual. So then I think sometimes what happens is, is we, we get stuck in the cycle of if I'm not intensely emotional right now, I'm not feeling God. Or if I'm not intensely emotional, um, God wasn't here. Or if I'm not intensely emotional, I'm not, I'm not, praying right or i'm not doing it right or well, god doesn't I, I, want me i 100 agree can we can we sidebar this are you gonna remember your other points about that, why you don't like retreat high that was my second point oh you only had two okay well, no i can think of many more no no perfect that segues into another point so we actually had a, a person we know let's say um who lost their job in part because they equated uh intense emotional experience with an experience of god you know, they literally, so they equated their experience in high school was that a good retreat meant that everybody cried at least once. Oh, yeah. And so when they became a youth minister for a short season, they thought that to have a powerful retreat, everyone had to cry. And so they sort of, um, I'll say emotionally manipulated. I wasn't there. I'm kind of caricaturing what happened. But essentially, they made the entire retreat around giving people this like intense but artificial emotional experience. Uh, and to an extent that works, I mean, you make people cry, but you're not really then putting somebody in touch with God. You're putting them at best in touch with their emotions. At worst, you're being emotionally manipulative. I was going to say, yes, at worst, it's manipulation. And right. that's never good. That's never good. Yeah, this, I'm, I will go on record as saying, I, Retreat High is still banned in my book. Salt, it's banned. Um, because I, I think it's a poor description of, of something that's far, far better. It's like, um, oh, how could I say? 
It's like calling all cheese, even the fanciest cheese you can find, even the most delicious, delicious, delicious cheese, calling it all uh, Easy Whiz or Easy Cheese, whatever that stuff is in the the spray can. Oh, as if you don't know the real name. <laughs> is it Easy Cheese? I don't know. Cheesy Whiz? Cheese Whiz? No. Cheese Whiz? No, cheese, cheese, no whiz. cheese Whiz is in the jar. Easy Cheese is, I think, the squeezy kind in the... Okay. Or, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Here we go. Velveeta. It's calling all cheese Velveeta. No, Everybody knows no, no, Velveeta no. is a sad, sad excuse. Number one, it's plastic. It's but number one two, molecule away from It's plastic. one molecule. Pardon me. Everyone knows it's a sad, sad excuse for cheese. It looks like cheese. And you know what? Some it Velveeta tastes good. You melt it on no, some nachos. I'm fine. I'm going to cut your analogy short. It's a poor... Calling... Saying that using Retreat High to, say, to explain mountaintop experience is like calling all cheese Velveeta is underselling the point like it really is so retreat high is just like youth ministry code word for mountaintop experiences and nobody would argue that we shouldn't talk about mountaintop experiences because they're not legitimate like we just need to reframe the discussion so we mean that retreat high is not i had a positive emotional experience or i guess even that i cried but you know i had a cathartic emotional experience but that i had uh, a spiritually significant experience then why can't we just say I had a spiritually significant experience? Or why can't we say, why can't we be more descriptive? This is like um, when when people use the, <laughs> you know, I won't, I won't call it individual youth group members. When uh, peeps in the youth group use big mood, I, it, it's frustrating because I can't help you. I don't understand. Uh, see, you're going to take us down another road. Because on the one hand, I totally agree that, that using shorthand like big mood, like, it's the modern vernacular, and it is. I mean, right? But kids is, are you it. frustrated? But are you sad? Well, right, but it's not helpful. But I don't think. I think retreat high falls more under the category of like vernacular we should use rather than unhelpful vernacular. God, this is such a like youth ministry theory thing that I haven't thought out all the way. So like, I always I hated big mood. I hate, for example, when people say no homo. Like, I ban those kinds of things because. I have really good philosophical bases for them, but I'm perfectly okay with, and I actually really love, like, spill the tea. Oh, yeah. Spill, well, all right. I like spill the tea. But my point is, is that I think, you know, instead of saying big mood, saying, saying, oh my gosh, yeah, I, I, I've experienced that, or oh, I'm really anxious right now, or I'm really frustrated, or, you know, you don't understand. I need you to stop talking. Whatever it is. You're helping, you're, you're communicating the, the issue far more specifically. And so then someone can, can make a response or someone can understand a lot better. It's the same thing with retreat high. Um, so instead of saying, Oh yeah, you know, I don't, I don't even know who says this anymore. This is so like 2005. Yeah, I got the best retreat high or, you know, everyone got a retreat or whatever. Instead of saying that, why can't we say, yeah, it was a really powerful experience. Yeah, I really felt the presence of God. Yes, I really, um, I was able to relate to a lot of people. Um, yeah, it was really emotionally impactful. Why can't we say that? Why do we roll it up under this, this, you know, banner of, of retreat high and slap the stamp on there and walk away? I think because retreat high is an accessible way to say that. Like, uh, to who? To other teens. 2005 youth group kid who has a backwards hat on. Well, thanks for arguing. Steve Buscemi in that <laughs> meme. <laughs> thanks for arguing in good faith there, Sarah. Not just short-circuiting the point. I, I think I think that it's a perfectly fine inroads. My, that's why that's why I have unbanded is I really think like if you have a teen um, who 
is not interested in retreat, but their friends are saying like, you know, here's, you know, I, you'll get it. Pos- uh, see, I'm going to shoot myself in the foot. Yeah, do it. No, I'm, I'm defending retreat high. I'm not going to, sh- I'm not going to let you shoot me in the foot. <laughs> I, you have not won me over to your position whatsoever. I think retreat high is a perfectly acceptable way to talk about a high school retreat mountaintop experience. I, I don't know. I feel like it cheapens it. And, and here's, here's another argument I have. Going back to my age-old complaint about, um, oh, what's that song? Um, I, the title's escaping me. You are good, good, oh. May the king of my heart. Yeah, king of my heart. King of my heart. Um, so that song will forever, forever be on my, my angry list because the, it starts off beautiful, but the refrain <laughs> because is. Because Sarah's a Philistine. <laughs> I am not a Philistine. Actually, it's not a Philistine. <laughs> I don't know what it is in this case. Maybe it's a Pharisee. I don't know. No, oh, all right, that that might be, um, but the it's this beautiful song, and then the the chorus is because you are good, good oh, and literally it just keeps repeating, just saying to God over and over, you are good, good oh, God is very good, good oh. However, um, you, we have all these beautiful songs written. We have the Tantum Ergo. We have years and years and years of of these beautiful poems and psalms, and and all sorts of things. And we're just going to settle for you are good, good, oh. Like, like, we can't do better than that. We have better. We don't even have to put extra effort into it. We have, we can just go, go back to what we already have. I don't know. I I think it's the same thing for a treat high. We, there are, are thousands of years of saints. Um, and, and actually, even before that, going back in the Old Testament, People have been explaining their experience of God for quite a long time now, and we have it documented in Scripture. We have it documented in the tradition of the church. Why are we going to settle for retreat high? Because it's not settling. It's about accessibility. I mean, I don't I don't particularly love most praise and, praise and worship songs, although there is a lot of praise and worship that I do enjoy in a, in a proper setting, which is, in my mind, not mass and not usually, or certainly not always, adoration. But I, I think it, it's a, an amount of accessibility is if it if it helps you to praise God, if you put your body into it and put your hands up in your your Protestant sway and uh, and sing you are good, good. Oh, at the top of your lungs or or as one of my friends and former students, Gwyn said, you know, sing uh, uh, Lord, I need you because God, I really need you. Like, like, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think retreat I is in that same category. Like. In my ideal world, I would have teen leaders who, as upperclassmen, sophomores and junior, or, uh, juniors and seniors, could you know articulate like what their mountaintop experience was like and and what emotions they were feeling and what uh, you know what they were experiencing and what was on their heart and what God was asking of them. But I just think that's a bit. I think that's a big ask. I don't think a lot of mature Christians who work for the church or who regularly attend like i don't think people can always articulate that i struggle to articulate like i know that i can if i'm pressed or if i'm you know trying to really convey something to somebody but uh to an average you know parishioner it's it's hard to talk in that way because you don't know how it's going to be received and you don't know if people will understand you but being able to equip it in the language of like you know, I had this retreat high, like, I just was... And the same thing with... And this is why I've also unbanned, like, I'm just on fire for the Lord, or I'm really convicted. Well, that's something different. No, I think they all into that same category. I'm Being able to use the language of substance use? I, I'm not I'm not one over. I'm on fire. Okay, fine. It's cheesy. 
but maybe I've gotten over it since 2005 with 2005 youth group kid with his backwards hat and his My Chemical Romance t-shirt. Okay, but even, okay, I'm going <laughs> to cut you off because every example you've given, first of all, you keep going back to 2005 as if it was the paradigm of youth ministry. It was definitely not. No, it was for us. No, it wasn't. We we lucked out in our youth group that we had a really good experience, but we, uh, it was it was not the be all end all of worldwide youth ministry. And while some of the a lot of the kids in that group actually turned out to be uh, quite awesome disciples in their own life, and something like four youth ministers and a priest in like three years of youth ministry kids, oh, yeah. um, something like that. Like yeah. probably do more math, maybe five youth ministers because one of them is doing college stuff. A lot of mothers, um, a lot of fathers, right? So doctors. like, okay, but that was our experience in youth Nurses. group. To, to try to lampoon the, like, the kid with the backwards hat and, M- and MCR and all of that. It's like, so you're basically trying to say that anybody who can't fully articulate their faith, even as a high schooler, is, like, somehow retrograde. And that's, like, I think you're being really negative toward teenagers and not allowing them to sort of express themselves in their own way while also saying legitimate things. Okay, 2005 Youth Group Kid is, is more of just a, it's a fun... A humorless parody. Yeah, it's a fun parody. I mean, it's a parody because it's, it's, it was my experience. Um, it's not the experience for someone who's in high school listening now. Um, no, and, and I don't, it's not about, it's not about saying that, that it's not about being negative towards teenagers. Um, it's more about, in fact, it's the opposite. You know, and, and Baron said this, our teens can do, I know, I know you guys are doing physics, um, better than I ever could. They're doing, uh, trigonometry. They're doing, what's the other thing I can never do? Uh, it's super high level math. Don't even remember the why name using, of it. Why are you using three math? Why are you Come using on. three math examples? Because I'm terrible at math. Statistics? No, I could do statistics. No, what's the really high level Calculus. one? Calculus. There you go. Don't even remember the name of it. Um, they're doing all these things. Fine. History, um, literature, really complex literature. They're doing all these really in-depth things. Um, they can, if they can do all that, I know they're at that level. I know that they can, they can describe an experience more specifically no, um, and more in-depthly. No, you're, first of all, you're, you're abusing Barron's point to make your own. Barron's point is that why are we giving teenagers crappy textbooks with, you know, a paraphrase, a two, a two paragraph paraphrase of a saint's words when they're reading Dostoevsky for, for literature class? Like, that teenagers are capable of dealing with theological material that's higher than we give them. So then they're capable of dealing with spiritual but talking material. A, but that's talking, than- they're capable of, of grappling with spiritual material, but to ask, I mean, like I'm saying, even spiritually mature adults struggle to put their experience into the proper language all the time. So why are we denying teenagers the ability to talk about retreat high when that could legitimately describe their experience? Because I think on the flip side, for, for as many who, who possibly could be, could be, I don't know, who, who, could find retreat high an accessible way to go towards something deeper. And that's a point we need to get to. Um, for as many of those people, there are also some who that phrase, it, it colors, it colors the experience so that it, it always, again, going back to that danger of it has to be about the high. It has to be a, a very uh, significant emotional experience or it wasn't anything. And the danger with that is that when you only have emotional experiences, really all you are doing is you're trying to get a dopamine hit. And then 
what can happen is further down the line, it's super easy to look at something that may have been a very real and a very deep um, and a very intense spiritual experience. And looking at that and being like, oh, well, I was just a teenager. I was really emotional. I was being dramatic. Eh, you know, I'm ignoring that. That That isn't who I am. That wasn't a part of me. I'm going to make one final point, and then I want to move on to something, some other part of this. Um, I think I think you are coloring Retreat High with your understanding of it and not letting it breathe on its own. Um, I think I have been letting it breathe since 2005. No, you've banned it. You haven't let it breathe. Banning it's not letting it breathe. It did not get banned until we were in college. Yeah, which was 2009. <laughs> All right, fine. You've been out of college for 10 years. I'm... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you have. You went to grad school. Um, um, I'm not convinced. I, I, I'm not convinced. Well, that's fine. I, again, we can agree to disagree. Yep. Um, I just think that attaching all of that, like, oh, well, you're... By saying retreat high, you're saying, well, then it's about the charged emotion. Like, And I don't agree. I think, I think it's perfectly fine to talk about retreat high and talk about, like... Uh, spiritual benefits or spiritual experience and not just the emotional experience that, that goes along with that. Um, but emotions, emotions are good jumping off to, to one of my, one of our talking points, I think. So one of the problems in youth ministry and one of the problems in like developing a spiritual life as a teenager is so many youth groups rely on those emotionally high spiritual moments and we call them mountaintop experiences, um, somewhat incorrectly. Uh, and so, like, if you look at a lot of youth ministry programs, including both of ours, in a sense, you could look at, like, well, we have a retreat in the fall, which is a high point, and then we kind of just do normal stuff that's a low, uh, at best a plateau, if not a valley, and then we do a retreat in the spring, and then we're back down to a plateau or a valley, and then we do a mission trip in the summer, and then we're back down to a plateau in the valley. Or, uh, you know, my group, it's it's NCYC every two years, and Catholic Youth Summer Camp every summer, and it used to be Notre Dame Vision. Like, there's all sorts of camps and conferences and experiences that become these, like, these spiritual high points, but they're really emotional high points. Mm. Um, and if you build your, your, your faith life around that, it's kind of a, a dangerous precedent, because... Adult life doesn't have those spiritual high points built into it the way that, like, high school youth ministry does. And nor does it even have the rhythm of, of the school year. Because you also, the, the, you can kind of find that in the rhythm of the school year. You have the excitement of going back, at least for, for some. Um, and then you have kind of, it drops off, and then you have the excitement of, of Christmas and Christmas break. Um, then it drops off into that dead period that I call that, the rest of you call February. <laughs> um, and then, you know, you have the excitement of, of the end of the year things. Maybe, you know, if, well, if you're a senior who didn't graduate in 2020, you have prom, you know, and then you have the excitement towards summer. It's kind of, you kind of learn to, to, um, to live in those, live in that, that pattern. Um, as an adult, you don't have that. Um, and so I think some of that also goes along with, well, we have, it's summer, so we have Steubenville. And again, we, have, we were talking about it before, we have the fest. Um, and then, you know, not, not this November, but next November, it's November, you know, we have NCYC. Um, that, you're, you're exactly right. That isn't going to be there. Um, and you can try. In fact, this is kind of going back to, to my, um, what I brought up previously about, um, having a terrible experience. You can try to recreate that. Um, and what I did for a while in college is on my fall break, um, I went to, uh, a hermitage, actually, a Franciscan hermitage, um, on retreat. 
And I was super prideful and I thought, well, I've been on enough of these and I lead them. So I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, where I just threw a couple books in a backpack and got in my car, which don't know how it made it, but it did every time, um, and drove, you know, a couple states over. And every time, honestly, the, the two times I'm thinking of, it was awful. It was super awful. Um, because number one, I wasn't even thinking of whether I was called, being called to, to, go on retreat in that time. Now, you know, I guess you can make the argument that God is, is always willing to, to engage with you on a deeper level, but it was, it was me trying to force something, um, because it's fall and we always did a retreat in the fall in high school. So I need to make sure I, I have this retreat on my fall break. Um, and I wasn't ready and I didn't make the, I didn't make any, I didn't reach out to anybody. I didn't make any connections, didn't get a spiritual director, didn't even have a plan. Um, and they kind of went horribly. I think that the whole concept of schedule, it's related to, but not the same as like the mountaintop experience thing, because I it might be our first pod, first or second podcast. We talk about monasticism. I think it's episode two, but like, I think you can, I think you can recreate a healthy schedule. I mean, like the whole church year is is built around like a liturgical schedule that helps inform how our life lives. Like it's not the same as the school year schedule, and the school year schedule does have its unique like um, you have a back to school rush, and then a kind of a lull, and then you have like Thanksgiving break, and then a lull. And one of the reasons I think February is so miserable for everyone, in addition to the fact that it's dark and gray and dreary outside, is uh, there's like no school holidays. Like you have a bunch in January and then you have a, like, like one in March and then you have like the end of the school year. But February is just like four straight weeks of school. Um, but I think, I think the schedule part itself kind of can work. Like you can work around that. Like there is some natural frustration when you get out of college and don't have the normal breakups of like semesters. But I think you can work around that. The, the retreat high, the mountaintop moments are weird because you could build your spiritual life as a teenager around regular retreats. I mean, I think even uh, people we know who uh, are faithful adults who were friends of ours when we were in youth group together oftentimes built their year around like I, like the next retreat because that was when they were going to tell their story or that was when they were going to get their good cry or like that was when they were going to set their life straight. Um, one kid in particular who I remember like every retreat for like at least two years, if not three, um, was an excuse to tell his story about his like devolution into a, like a drinking problem. And like every retreat was his like, I'm going to get out of it this time. And it, it never was. It was his sort of opportunity to like tell that story, have the catharsis of sharing that story, but then not make any real like impact in his life. To tie it all back into like our transfiguration story, that's the kind of, uh, it's one of my favorite, my favorite church memes is you have, you have that story of Peter, James, and John go up the mountain. They see Jesus transfigured. They see Moses and Elijah. And Peter says, you know, Lord, let me build you a tent. Um, and the idea, I mean, in Peter's mind, I don't think it was, you know, it's not as, as bizarre as it sounds where Peter just like decides like now's a good time to go camping. Uh, it's Peter's desire to like, let's stay on the mountaintop. Um, like let's, you know, we're having this profound transformative experience, this transfigured experience, uh, seeing the, the resurrected Lord, the preview of the resurrected Lord, um, you know, this spoiler alert moment. And Peter doesn't like his reaction is like, well, let's just stay here and like stay in this moment. Um, 
And I think that ties into like what a lot of, of teens and a lot of young adults want out of retreats is they are, they want to stay in this moment uh, of, of spiritual high, of spiritual like alertness, of being with people um, who care about the Lord and having these powerful, you know, emotionally driven or emotionally underscored experiences. And uh, it's not a realistic, like, like you can't live a life spirituality always on retreat. It would be, in some ways it'd be awesome, but I think in, in other ways it would become incredibly boring in its own way. And so at some point we have to talk about like, coming down off that mountain. So we're not just trying to go from fleeting experience to fleeting experience. And I think that that kind of goes back to um, what I said at the beginning of this. Um, There is, so I I did say, and you know, maybe I should have, um, (laughs) especially with what I said previously, maybe I should have described the experience a little bit better. I did say there's this sense that, that God is out there, um, out there somewhere. And, and really in those instances that I was talking about, it was, it was more of like, you are not on your own ground. You are, you are in, in God's place, in God's space, in God's time. Um, but I think my, my youth, Amanda, Amanda years ago at, at a parish mission we did, um, she talked about her experience on the Camino and she talked about, um, cause she, it was pilgrimage is like her thing. Um, and I remember her making it very clear that God is not out there. God is right here. And I think that's a really good point. It, it's good to go to things like World Youth Day. It's good to go to things like NCYC. Um, it's good to go to, to, um, exalts even, even, you know, even those are just maybe on the other side of town. Um, but I think sometimes when we do go from experience to experience like that, we do have this idea of God is out there. I need to go, I need to go find him. I can't find him unless, you know, there's uh, music blaring or, you know, it's an intensely emotional experience and I need to have that facilitated for me. Um, that is not the case. And, you know, we were talking about um, how these prophets always, always, you know, met God on the mountain, my favorite prophet. And one of my favorite scriptures of all time, Elijah goes on the mountain and there's a thunderstorm. I think there's a fire. There's all these monumental things that happen. Um, but, but the scripture keeps saying, but God was not in the thunderstorm. God was not in the wind. God was in this, at the, the end, there's this small, still voice. And that's when Elijah knows. Um, he goes, and I think he's, he's in a cave, if I'm remembering mm-hmm. he it. He hides himself, yeah. Yeah, he's hiding in a cave on this mountain while all this stuff's going on. And when he hears this small, still voice, that's when he comes out, um, because he knows. And I think that's so incredibly important. Um, when you're talking about an intense spiritual, a mountaintop experience is that it, it's not always going to look, um, like this awesome, you know, NCYC, um, in Lucas Oil Stadium. I mean, and actually <laughs> this is even more relevant. It may not look like that with 20,000 people all together in one place, um, for multiple reasons. Um, but it may not look like that with the lights and the people and the sounds. Um, it may just be in the chapel by yourself. It may be in your room, um, you know, listening to, to whatever music or sitting with your journal and a cup of coffee, although nobody drinks coffee like I do. Um, I think that it's important that we keep that in mind, that, that God is not out there, like like he's something I have to go buy at the store or go pick up and bring, bring home in a sense. Um, 
God is, is willing to be intimate with us. I think maybe that's a word we should start using instead of retreat high. God is willing to be intimate with us, um, and, you know, close with us, sharing himself with us, um, at any, t- at any point, at any day, in any place. That's a good point. And I think, uh, I think one of the dangers, one of the other dangers of, of relying too much on mountaintop experiences are that they they do become sort of emotionally driven. Like, even if they have real, true, positive spiritual ramifications, like, if you really do encounter God, but you can only encounter God if for king and country is there. Uh, or you can only encounter God... Isn't there a meme? I can only I can only pray when I'm listening to Hillsong in the key of D minor or something like that. <laughs> I saw a good one today where uh, <laughs> Hillsong introduces controversial fifth chord. <laughs> no um, kidding. <laughs> um, but I, I think, you know, mountaintop... I'm going to try to make a conclusion point that's not going to conclude the podcast. Mountaintop experiences are a good thing. Like, without... Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. like mountaintop experiences help inform our daily spirituality and our daily spiritual lives, but mountaintops can't be the only thing. Um, you know, if Peter, James, and John stayed on the mountain, you wouldn't have a church today. Um, like, there just, there has to be sort of a next step. Um, and, but yeah, well, one of those dangers is definitely like you can rely too heavily on emotion. And emotion is such a weird, a weird part of the spiritual life. And I think it's a, it's another, most things Sarah and I disagree on. Um, I think we disagree on this too. Like, I think emotion is an important part of your spiritual life. I just, it can't be everything. You know, emotion has to follow a legitimate experience, not precede it. Where do I disagree? Oh, I don't know. I thought you might disagree with that. Yeah. So one of my, okay, well, maybe you'll disagree at this point. (laughs) Let me poke the bear. Um, so we went to a Steubenville conference a couple of years ago. Yeah, now and- I disagree. No, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> as soon as I said it, I knew. Steubenville, um, no. <laughs> I, I don't want to entirely knock it. It was a the 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 conference we went to was really really bad. Um, only one of the speakers was really uh, inspiring and and you know gave good talks. And it was just, it was overwhelming and not in a good way. And Maybe we shouldn't name this by name. Sorry, go ahead. I'll name Steubenville by name, but I'm not going to name anything else by name. Oh, like, it was just right. a, it was a very, I don't think it was the fault of the conference itself, primarily. It was, it was the first one of the year. So maybe well, and, just and not kinda... just and not just that it was it had a lot to do with like it had nothing to do with the culture of the group we went with. Oh, uh, yeah. It was just the spirituality that Steubenville conferences largely have, and the spirituality of our group or somewhat lack thereof were very incompatible. Like there's a lot of challenges. There was a lot of challenges between the two. Um, but one of the things that I appreciate about Steubenville conferences that that conference, my experience there, was that it allowed for emotion. Like, I do very much believe, you know, like St. Ignatius talks about the gift of tears. And I think God sometimes grants us, like, like to get sad, you know, to that tears come to our eyes. You know, every once in a while, um, I'll go back and read uh, old retreat notes that I've gotten or, or, you know, I'll get a text from a former student of mine, things like that. Um, and I'll tear up a little bit because, you know, it's an emotional thing. And I, I, think, I think there's a sense to which that's not just you know, whatever dopamine hit. Like, I think God sometimes grants us that experience to know that there is is some true faith there, that there's some true encounter there. But on the flip side, I think there's this dangerous level where, like, you have to cry or you have to uh, be overcome by the spirit or you have to, 
I don't even know what other things. Oh, I have one. Laugh and burst out spontaneously, and I, and that's dangerous because you know crying doesn't necessarily equate God. You know, not every time you cry is the gift of tears. Yeah, and I I know I've been to um to faith healers, and there's you know, and and not knocking that either. But the experience I had was you know lots of lots of people fall, and you know there's this concept of being slain in the spirit. And it was very clear that this person was trying to tip me backward and I was not going to do it. Um, and so, you know, once again, and, and my argument would be, number one, I did not feel like doing that. Um, and number two, God could certainly still work. And so, you know, maybe I'm, I'm getting into a, I'm opening up a very, very big debate um, that, that I don't want, I don't want to deal with. But so, cause someone could certainly argue that I wasn't being open to and that's fine. But it is, it is very dangerous, um, to over rely on emotion. I'm not gonna, I'm never gonna argue that emotion, having an, an emotional experience as a part of mountaintop experience or as a part of a powerful experience of God as a bad thing. We're human beings. We react with emotion. Um, there's a lot of situations where I would say if you don't react with emotion, then there is something wrong. <laughs> then you're a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know about that, but then, you know, something's up because that's, we're human beings. That's a part of, of who we are. Um, but I, I think it's, you know, again, kind of getting on, getting on chasing that, that emotional, solely emotional experience. Um, again, it, not even solely. I mean, I think, I think you're right on is chasing the emotional experience. It's, it's really easy to make an idol of emotions. There we go. That's and I, and that's, I mean, it. I think that's, that's the problem with, uh, retreat high culture, if we're going to call oh, it, I'm going to coin okay. more terms. So it's retreat high gonna, culture, yeah, but yeah, retreat yeah. high is okay. The, yeah, retreat high can be redeemed. Retreat high culture can't. Re- retreat high culture is is totally trying to uh, bring you from fleeting experience to fleeting experience. And I do think... Oh, go, ahead, so, oh go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, no. no I'm going to take it somewhere super legit. Okay. I do think the with the conference we were talking about, I think one of the things that did color it, or at least for me, and of course I, I have my own biases against that experience. So biases. Biases. Pardon me. Now I forgot what I was going to say. Shame on you. Big mood. No, <laughs> I do think, there we go. That made me so mad I remembered it. So now, <laughs> going back to, um, I do think what, what colored the, that conference, at least maybe for me, is that there was this, um, feeling in the air there was this big mood there was this feeling in the air of like i have been waiting all school year and this is my big release and this is going to be my big moment with god but really what it was is it was a big venting of emotion and again Mm -hmm. that's not wrong but i think a lot of people to them i i I, and i have to be careful with my wording here being charitable it was my it was my feel of the room that that a lot of people that was their understanding of god and that was their understanding of, of this is how we pray. And that's that's not the case. Yeah, and that if they didn't have an emotional release of... Uh, if they didn't have a major emotional release, then they, like, didn't... Very significant, <laughs> invisible <laughs> emotion. Then, then they didn't, like, get something out of that conference. And that, to me, was, you know... And I and I'm making a lot of generalizations. I didn't talk to every person there or anything, but like yeah, it really, absolutely. it really like that gave the impression like oh, like this is like like dangerous as a youth yes. minister. Like this is a dangerous thing because yes. we're giving the impression that if you don't have your grand emotional cathartic experience, that you like 
didn't experience God this weekend. Um, and that's just not how life works. Like, that's not how adult spirituality, that's not how normal, I shouldn't say normal, but like everyday faith works. Um, and so that's that not was. That's how it worked with the mystics either. Right. And so that, well, there were mystics who oh, had, they had emotional experiences. But when they did, they didn't always want them. And when they did, they didn't go back and brag about them. They almost. They were embarrassed. They were almost always embarrassed or certainly, uh, secretive or, or, uh, humble about it that they always went to their spiritual director first before it ever got public. I mean, so you have like any of the mystical visions you read always were filtered through a spiritual director and a bishop. And like, they were never things that were bragged about the way that like modern day does. Right. Right. And I think there's two things that are important with that. One is a spiritual director, which going back to my mistakes, my blunders, I did not do. I just thought I could, again, you know, go out, go seek God out there and find him. Um, when he was right there the whole time, like, <laughs> hmm. um, and then two, you know, then it becomes, it becomes about you. Well, I had this great experience, you know, I did this, I did that, I must be so good, or, you know, well, that's a good point. It's very egocentric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's God. Well, God does come to us, so maybe that's not a good way. No, to say God it, definitely but. comes to us, but God. It's always the action on God's end. Like and, even when, and this is something I go ahead. And you know, there's this physical. Like I am having this big physical reaction again. I have to be very careful here. There is nothing wrong with with visibly showing that you feel stop, God. Stop giving caveats. You're getting good no, stuff. You're saying good I, stuff. I don't want someone to, to misunderstand me. There's not, There's never anything wrong with showing that you're having an experience of God, putting your hands up, listening to uh, King of My Heart. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's not I'm, you. It's this song. I'm, I'm totally validating you and making fun of you in the same sentence. No. No, that's not my point. But I, I, did, I did feel, at least at that conference, using that as a specific example, um, it there was a sense of like, oh, look at me. You know what I mean? I, I am having this experience. I got, I got the high. I got the God high. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. That's another good one. I, that's dangerous. It's dangerous. Yeah. And it's something I grapple with as a youth minister um, that like we're, a lot of people feel like our job is to give this experience of God. And I just don't think that such a, re- such a thing is really possible. Like, I can't contain God in such a way so as to give that experience to others. Now, I can create situations where a real encounter can happen, you know, putting mission trips together to let teenagers, you know, encounter poor, you know, the poor people in the neighborhood. I don't know a better way to say that. I should have said that yeah, better. Yeah, wow. Sorry. Well, that's how Jesus... Encounter our brother and That's sister. how Jesus would have said it, though. Brothers and sisters. Jesus just says poverty. the poor. Jesus also just randomly goes up to someone and is like, woman, woman give me a drink of water. Rude. <laughs> if I said that to Sarah, she would. Not give you a drink of water. <laughs> give me Go a piece of her mind. <laughs> woman, give me a piece of your mind. <laughs> um, I did. Retreat eyes wrong. Go ahead. Hold on. Um, <laughs> I think I can, you know, I can create situations for teens to, to have potential encounters Um, you know, putting mission trips together where we can encounter, um, our brothers and sisters in poverty, uh, or putting retreats together where we have a chance to, you know, meet Jesus in Eucharistic adoration and, uh, be in his presence in the Eucharist or experience him in confession, uh, or even experience him through, uh, the witness and testimony of, you know, fellow teenagers, you know, who are sharing their own experience of God. So like, 
in a certain way we can orchestrate like an opportunity for encounter um but i think there's this idea that like well we need to make teens encounter uh geez or we need to like to make that encounter happen and that just it it can't work that way um god's love is always an invitation that needs to be responded to i can't force god on you um that can't be my job and then uh can I transition us? I have one more. Sure. Hopefully this goes somewhere good. So there is a, a, a sociologist named Zygmunt Baumann who has oh. this idea. I know. Say that name again. I had to again. look it up. No, because I'm going to sound I'm gonna sound like catching What's foxes. What's his name? He loves him. Zygmunt Baumann. What's his name? <laughs> Stop it. That's, one more time. That's straight out of catching fox. Well, straight out of uh, uh, Mike Gormley. Um, I'll cut all of that. Yeah, yeah. Cut all of it. <laughs> Not really. I should give him credit, but he just quotes a guy who also is quoted. Right. But anyway... <laughs> So the sociologist, Zygmunt Bauman. Who? <laughs> Mike <ahead>. Jones. <laughs> That's a 2005 youth group boy for you. Yeah, that is. He, he has this idea of a liquid culture. And in, in his understanding, and his, you know, he's a sociologist, he's really talking about how we've gone from, like, uh, creating things by means of manufacturing to ha- doing this, like, knowledge work where it's all... You know, you're not judged based on how many widgets you produced. You're judged on this sort of more ambiguous way of thinking. Um, but I think his point is applicable to mountaintop experiences and to retreat highs or whatever. Because if you go from fleeting experience to fleeting experience, you're never dealing with anything solid. You're dealing with this sort of, you know, liquid, hard to define spirituality. Um, whereas one of the desires, you know, that I have as a youth minister, and I think that, that Sarah does too, um, is to give something more solid, like to help help young people develop like solid spiritual practices that you can go back to. I mean, there's a reason why you know old ladies pray the rosary, and it's not just because like it's some antiquated thing that old ladies like to carry around. Like it's a solid spiritual practice. It's a way uh, to be disciplined in how they pray and to encounter Jesus through Mary and all all sorts of things like that. I mean, there's that's excuse me, the rosary could be its own podcast. But, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> I don't know enough about the rosary right to make it a podcast. Yeah, um, I like the rosary. I don't love it like I probably should. Um, oh, but like, that's so, a topic for a podcast. That's a Go topic. Ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I don't understand Mary as well as I should. That would be a good podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> move on. Mary? Question mark. But, you know, trying to help instead of going from de- de- helping teens develop a spirituality around conference retreat, conference retreat you know, mission trip to develop it more on like reading the scripture and attending mass on Sundays and journaling and going to confession regularly. Like there are solid spiritual practices that have been around since the dawn of the church, which are a solid way to build your faith life more than just the experiences of retreat. And you said there are, there are things that have been around since the beginning of the church to be fair. Um, we just did a couple weeks ago or not even, um, our insane night on rest. And one of the things we talked about is Jesus clearly goes off in, into the desert to pray, right? So the retreat experience has been a part of our experience since, or our faith life, I guess I should say, since day one. Um, so I, we, I want to make it clear we're not poo-pooing retreats. Think- They're awesome. Um, but it, it, if it is the only thing... Um, well, you know, and not just that. And I don't mean to cut you off, I'm sorry. For retreats to be a normal and regular part of your spirituality is fine. To have retreats where it's this emotional, cathartic release is unrealistic. Well, that, and then also that's making it about us. 
we're standing on our ground and we're forcing God to come to us. Now, is that a terrible thing? No. Um, and he will. But I think it's, it also keeps us from, from being, there's your favorite word, being vulnerable and going out there to meet him as well. With COVID and, and even though it's, it's receding and, and may not be receding in a second wave and all these things, it's clear that first of all, our summer, but the year going forward is not going to look, um, how we thought it would look. So when it's, it's especially important when we're relying on all these things and, you know, salt and HSM specifically, you know, we had this retreat that we had put a ton of work into and, and we're excited about, um, and kind of had, at least me speaking for myself, had a lot of high hopes for, you know, it's on shaky ground. Can we do it? We, we don't know still. Mm. It's important to, I think we need to watch. Um, we need to watch ourselves. It's it's certainly okay to to grieve for those things. I definitely grieve retreat. Um, we, Zach and I were just talking earlier about how you know after being full time parent and also working from home full time and doing all this stuff, the thing I really could use most right now is driving up to Genesee <laughs> and having a retreat. And obviously, for multiple reasons, that that's definitely not going to happen. So I think we really need to be to be mindful of, you know, are we thinking of God as out there? He's somewhere out there, you know, two states away, and I have to go get in my ancient Oldsmobile Lero and go find him. Because if that's the case, I think we need to be aware of, you know, are do we have that? Are we kind of waiting for that next moment, the next NCYC, the next World Youth Day? And if that's the case, you know, maybe asking God, you know, turning the turning the conversation away from ourselves a little bit, because, you know, that is kind of about us kind of waiting and wanting and, and yearning and that there's nothing wrong with that. You know, NCYC was awesome. But maybe turning the focus a little bit on God and asking him where 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 he's at or, or where are we missing him? Maybe that's more what I mean. Where are we missing him? Um, in our daily life. And that may still be in quarantine. That may still be um, in a smaller circle than we're used to because he's still there and he still is there as intensely as in some of those other spaces. And it goes down in flames. (laughs)